you pray with me? God, I, I just, I can so identify with the words of that song, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one here, that I just sense how my life, day after day, can get caught up and tangled up into so many things. My life just gets to be this jumbled mess as I try to follow you. And just grateful, God, that this morning we can sing that song of gratitude and prayer to you that you'll just take us with that jumbled mess. You'll sort it all out and you'll make something beautiful of our lives. And so because of Christ and what he does in us, God, we give you thanks this morning. We offer that song. We offer our lives to you in gratitude. In Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. According to surveys, uh, we seem to pray a lot. Now, I don't know how much credence you give to surveys or how much stock you put in those things that come out all the time. Some seem to say one thing, some say another. But according to the polls, more Americans will pray this week than will exercise, I get that one, or will drive a car or have sex or go to work. I'm not going to touch any one of those. Uh, In fact, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, the surveys say that 75% of us will pray every single day. And we pray about a lot of things when you think about it. We pray because we just want to thank God. We're just grateful for the beautiful things, the glorious things that he brings into our life, the stuff that he does for us every single day. We pray sometimes because of what comes in our life. It makes us feel small and helpless. And if we're really honest, it just makes us afraid. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for strength. Sometimes we pray just because we don't want to feel alone in what's going on. Simple prayers, honest prayers, are foundational to this authentic faith that we've been talking about all the way through this book of James as we've been looking at it. And James encourages us in these last words in his book to pray those prayers. When he says, is anybody among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anybody happy? Let them sing a song of praise. Just another way of praying. Is anybody among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person, it's powerful and effective. Well, good morning, everybody. And before we go any further, I want to do this embarrassment first service. I'll do it again because I am nothing if not consistent. Uh, the uh, Scott and Lindsay Alexander are here this morning. If you didn't get to say hi to them before you came in, uh, they've drifted to the back of the auditorium. It may have been something I said in first service. Uh, but uh, for those of you who don't know them, Scott and Lindsay, 
Uh, we're on staff here, uh, Scott as the senior pastor, Lindsay as the children's director. She did all the real work. Uh, and we're here for eight years uh, and just a foundational part of the life and the history of this church. I'm glad you guys are here today. Uh, stop, say hi to them, uh, greet them on your way out this morning. Uh, just always glad they come home for a couple of weeks in the summer uh, from their work in Haiti, and they spend at least uh, one Sunday here with us, uh, and so we're glad you guys are here today. Uh, I think it's a safe assumption, if you're here in the room this morning, that at some level you believe in prayer, you may practice prayer on a regular basis, and it's something that we probably, all of us, believe we need to do, we do at some level in our lives. But I would imagine, too, if we're honest, that every single one of us would admit that there's some kind of a barrier in our lives when it comes to prayer. Some kind of a wall, something that is between us and a deeper, richer experience of prayer that we would like to have. In fact, that survey that I mentioned earlier documents that fact and says even though 75% of us pray every day, the overwhelming majority of us say we're not satisfied, we don't feel fulfilled by our prayer life. So when I think about that, really I'm tempted at times to say it's just because of the busy pace of our lives. If we only had more time to pray, it'd be better. But that may all just be a smokescreen because we all still manage to do the stuff that's important to us in our lives, you know. We still manage to eat. I mean, as I look at the room, that seems to be true, right? We manage to sleep. We manage to show up for our jobs. We do all of that stuff that's important to us in our lives. I start to run through a list of excuses and reasons why I don't pray, why maybe you don't pray, and I kind of come down to a core reason of why I think we don't pray as much as we should, and we don't feel satisfied with what we do pray. I think it just has to do with an uncomfortableness that we have with prayer. Sometimes we feel like we have to get things right, just right, before prayer will reach that satisfaction level. Sometimes it's We have to do some fine-tuning in our lives before we can talk to God. Or maybe we feel like we have to take a class on prayer to learn more or study the ancient fathers of prayer or people who did it successfully. We hear about people like Martin Luther who said, you know, I can't possibly begin my day unless I spend three or four or six hours in prayer. We hear that and we go, well, I need to learn from that person before I can have a a successful satisfying prayer life. And while I appreciate that, and I appreciate the sentiment that I sometimes have, and you have in that, it, it can, in fact, end up being the very barrier that keeps us from praying more, keeps us from being fulfilled in our prayer life. So after a lifetime of following God, and after decades of wrestling with prayer, I finally come to the place where I believe what Emily Griffin, an author, wrote when she said, to pray means willing, being willing to be naive. By that, I don't mean that we have to come to a place where we're gullible or foolish about prayer. I simply mean we need to be willing to come to God in prayer and admit our lack of experience 
Maybe our lack of understanding. See, prayer is this unique experience. When we begin to pray, when we really dive into prayer, simply coming to grasp with the fact of what we're doing, it's just awe-inspiring for me. When you think about it, we bow our heads, keep our eyes open, look up, whatever we do when we pray. We're talking to the God of the universe, the creator of all things. You ever stop and think about that? He's listening to us. It's unique in all the things we do in our life. And he's a spirit being. We're talking to someone who is not flesh and bone. He's a spirit, different than us. It's just a unique experience. And I'll be honest, it takes some getting used to when you begin to pray. And you begin to pray authentically. Part of that is simply approaching God. That naive thing is just approaching God and owning that. And just going, this is new to me, God. We have to trust in his love for us. We have to trust that God is going to be patient with us as we learn to communicate with him, as we grow in this discipline. And it helps if we can just come to the place where we can believe that God accepts us and our prayers just as we are. It helps if we can accept the fact that we're saved by grace. We live by grace and we pray by grace. Praying by grace allows us just to begin to pray and let the words tumble out. We open our hearts in front of a loving Father. We don't have to try to sort out the good from the bad. We just let them flow. And my best example of that is, quite honestly, uh, this, these letters, these cards that I've gotten from my grandkids, you know, for all the years they've been alive. Our granddaughter's nine, my grandson is seven. What makes them special is that our daughter has, uh, from the beginning, not censored their comments in the cards. So she sits down with them when it's time for them to send us a card for birthday, for Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, whatever the occasion is, they're going to send us a card. She just lets them talk. And she writes down exactly what they say, uncensored. So for Christmas four years ago, uh, Courtney captured our grandson Landon's thoughts. And instead of a card, it went on the back of a picture frame. I'm going to throw it up on the screen here. This is Landon at three years old, and here's what he wrote. Dear Poppy, Thank you for everything you gave to us so you can be here with all of us so we can do everything and everything and everything. We can do everything. I like you because I love you. Because you've given us presents. I'm all done. I want to go play now. I'm done. I love you, Papa. Thanks for those presents. I'm all done. (laughs) It's just precious, right? I mean, I loved this when I read it. I didn't, like, look at it and go, well, it's good, but he's a little redundant and repetitive. And he, I mean, she could have edited some of this out, and he could have used the space better on the back of the frame and gotten a few more thoughts in, but it's okay, I'd give it a C plus. No. It's his heart. He just... He just said what was on his heart to me, and I love it. I've kept this in my office for four years. It just sits there, and I see it, and I know that he loves me. And he said what he meant. 
I think to me that illustrates authentic prayer to God. We just show up as we are. We pour our hearts out to God. And God isn't concerned so much about our grammar or our posture. He just loves to hear his kids talk to him. And you ever been in that situation where you're praying and you find yourself repeating yourself and you thought, you know, I'm going to spend 10 minutes praying and I'm three minutes in and I'm done? I think it's just okay to go, you know what, God, I'm done. I want to go play now. It's kind of like Landon did. To just be honest with God. And so when we tell God, for example, how frustrated we are with a coworker, or that we're ticked off at our spouse, we don't have to sanitize it. We don't have to clean it up. We can just lay it out there to God. And when we pray to God, we ask Him for things like food or we need good weather for something or we're praying about our health. We don't have to figure out this certain way to ask God for things so that He'll answer our prayers. There's not a magic formula. Or when we sin, there's somehow, I think, this thought in our heads that we have to clean up the story of what we did so that when we tell it to God, we won't like offend Him or burn his ears when we tell the story. Because, like, maybe we forget that God was there and he actually saw what we did. You know? Like, maybe God's going to be surprised when we tell him the story. Like, you went where? You did what? Who was with you? No, he was there. He saw it. He just wants us to be honest. Authentic. You read the prayers of the Bible, you see that's the way that people prayed. You can read the Psalms that David wrote the majority of them. And in one chapter, sometimes, you'll hear David go through all of that in one chapter. Pour his heart out to God. You know, I love you, God. You've blessed me. You're so wonderful. And then he'll rant in the same psalm, and then he'll be back to praising God. Sometimes a whole psalm will be about David just blessing and praising God. Sometimes another psalm will be him just going, God, have you lost your mind? It's a paraphrase. Do you understand what you're doing here? It, it just appears to me that you have lost complete control of the universe, of these people, of my life. I don't see your hand anywhere in this. Read the Psalms. They're just honest prayers. I love the book of Numbers, which really, if you've ever read Numbers, just lets you know how weird I am. But the book of Numbers, chapter 11, Moses the leader of the nation of Israel, like a million people at this point, Moses is praying to God, just being brutally honest about how tough this job is that God has given him. We, we think these prayers are sanitized, you know, like something you would hear in the National Cathedral at the death of a president. Or it's not like that at all. Listen to what Moses said to God. Why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive these people? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of these people on me? It's pretty honest, right? Not the kind of thing that if we're new to reading the Bible, we'd picture somebody saying to God. So I love to read the Old Testament. They're just honest prayers in the Old Testament. And yet in the middle of all this self-serving prayer, Moses also prays some of the most beautiful, noble prayers you'd ever read. He also prays at one point for the sins of the people that God would spare them, not wipe them off of the face of the earth. And he says, God, please forgive their sins. 
And if you won't, then blot me out of the book you've written. If you won't forgive them, then don't forgive me either. It's a beautiful prayer. See, authentic prayer just involves ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving, compassionate God. There's no pretense. There's nobody pretending to be holier or purer or saintlier than they really are. First John says, when we do that kind of prayer, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. He already knows everything. So we don't try to conceal anything. We don't conceal our motives. We don't conceal our feelings from God or even from ourselves. We just pour our hearts out. Because God's greater than whatever we're feeling in that moment. I think that's why James says to us in this passage, are you in trouble? You have something difficult in your life, some hardship, some misfortune that you've been going through for a long time? Pray about it. Just pour your heart out to God. Are you happy? Do you you have some deep sense of contentment and joy? Then sing to the top of your lungs. Pray that way to God. Just let him know how grateful you are. If you're sick, if you've got some kind of illness you've been suffering from, for a long time, then just call the spiritual leaders of the church in. Have them pray for you. You have some sin you've been struggling with, something you can't get over, can't get past, can't get through. Don't try to do it on your own. Call a good friend, somebody you trust, maybe somebody from your community group. Sit down with them and confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Just bring the everyday stuff of your life to God. And what I see in that passage is this progression of risk. You know, and it's tough. I mean, I I see this and I go, you know, I'm pretty good at talking about, you know, if I've had some ongoing difficulty in my life, something, a hardship of some kind, I'll talk about that. If I've got a joy in my life. I've had like a good week or a good month. I'm pretty good about talking about those two things. Then you drop down to the next two things on the list. If I've got some long-term sickness, that's a shorter list. A little more risky. An ingrained pattern of sin in my life, it's a real short list. It's a very short list of people that I trust that I'll sit with. We'll confess sins to each other. We'll pray for each other. But we need those people in our life. If we're going to be authentic with God and with others and talk about those things, we're going to have to start lowering our defenses, finding those people we trust, trusting God with those things. Maybe why Jesus, even in his teaching, said, when you pray, it's good to get alone. Find a place. Jesus said, find a closet which is fascinating because our houses didn't have closets. But find this room, find a quiet space and be alone with God. So you can tell the stuff that nobody knows to a God who already knows. Because once you do that, God can do the work in you to help you heal, 
and change and grow. So how do we take steps then to that authentic, deeper prayer? How do we take steps to being open and honest with God? It doesn't have so much to do with mechanics. It doesn't have so much to do with styles of prayer. I don't think that's where the challenge in our prayer life is for most of us, as I said earlier. Very simply, we just begin to talk with God about where we are right now in our everyday life. About our family. About our job. About our neighbors, about our friends. About our relationship with Him. Tell Him about whatever's going on in your life. And that sounds so trivial. There's not a big wow factor to that when I say it. I realize that. But in reality, that is the most profound truth about our life with God that we will ever know. That we can give all of our worries and cares to God because He cares for us. We don't have to carry them alone. Trusting God is the stuff of prayer. Trusting God is what it takes to be able to pray. And as we pray, our trust in Him grows. I think that's why James includes in this section on prayer the example of Elijah. In verses 17 and 18 in James 5, he says, Elijah, he was a human being, even as we are. And Elijah prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed. And the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, James could just give the really short version of Elijah's story because most of his readers would know the entire story. I don't think that's so much true for us. And I won't give the long version, but just let me give the cliff notes of what happened with Elijah. And you can explore it for yourself in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And you'll find he prayed about a lot of things other than the weather in that three and a half years. Elijah, during that drought, meets a widow. And he he asks her to prepare a meal for him because he's hungry. She confesses to him that she doesn't have much food because of the drought. In fact, she has just a very small amount of flour and oil, enough to make one loaf of bread. She's about to fix that loaf of bread for herself and her son. It's their very last meal. And then they're convinced they're going to starve to death. Elijah asks her to have faith, fix that meal, feed the three of them, and promises her that God will not let her food run out during the drought if that happens. He moves in, and I am convinced, though the story doesn't tell it, that Elijah prayed every day for that. And God stretched that meager amount of food, and it fed them for three and a half years. Every day they had food. At the end of the drought, as James says, there was this amazing thing that happened. Elijah has this prayer throwdown with the prophets of Baal that the nation had begun to worship. And there were 450 prophets on one side and Elijah alone on the other. Can you imagine that? How would you like to stand up against 450 people all by yourself? So they do their thing, and they pray, and nothing happens. And Elijah offers this very simple prayer. 
And God answers his prayer and sends down fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice that Elijah has and the gallons and gallons and hundreds of gallons of water that has soaked this sacrifice. It's an amazing feat. And when it's all over, Elijah then prays and the drought ends. Not like in a couple of weeks, not in a month. The drought ends immediately. Rain comes because of Elijah's prayer. It's an astounding account of what happens in Elijah's life as he prays. And as amazing as it sounds, this was just Elijah's everyday, ordinary life. That's what James is saying. And it wasn't all success and victories for Elijah. Because after all of this prayer and the good things that happened, the epilogue to the story is that wicked Queen Jezebel heard about this and the prophets being killed. And she puts out a contract on Elijah's life. And in spite of all the success and how God's been with him, Elijah runs like a scared dog. And he prays to God about that too. James has a point here by bringing up Elijah. And he starts with that point when he says, Elijah was a human being just as we are. There was nothing exceptional, nothing extraordinary, nothing special about Elijah. Other than the fact that he trusted God every day with his life. He prayed to God all along the way, no matter what the day brought. Prayed to God about his food. He prayed to God about the major battles he was facing that day. He prayed to God about the rain. He prayed to God when his life was threatened. That was his everyday, ordinary life. Authentic prayer is pouring our lives out to God right where we are about whatever we're facing. Because right where we are is the only place that God can bless us. It's the only place that God can use us. It's the only place that God can help us. So that next sleepless night that you're up pacing the floor, worried about your job, worried about your family, worried about your kids, pace the floor with God. Let him in. Tell him about your hurt. Tell him about your anger. Tell him about your fear. Tell him about your disappointments. And don't believe the, the lie that the unwashed content of your heart is not the suitable stuff of prayer. Invite God into the messiness of your anger and your frustration and your disappointment as well as inviting him into the joy and the celebration that's in your life. See, I am a firm believer that God wants us to lay before him exactly what's inside of us, not what we believe ought to be in us. The invitation of authentic prayer is to bring our whole lives into God's presence 
for healing and restoration. To be done with self-protection, with hiding, and to lean fully into God's grace. A grace that allows us to be authentic as we talk with God. To put it all out there, the good, the bad, the ugly, and sort it out with God. To let God show us the way through the broken mess that is our life. And to believe that when we authentically approach God in that way, that we will find not a tyrant, but a God who loves us and has actually been with us every step of our journey.